Out on an Island LGBTQ plus oral histories on the Isle of Wight from coming out stories to going out memories what is it really like to be out on an island Out on an Island is an oral history project by Stonecrabs Theatre supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund Hello I'm your host Gary Fairhall In today's podcast Melissa Gilmore interviews Caroline Diamond about coming out at an older age, setting up the LGBTQ plus women's group on the Isle of Wight, role models and much more. What do you recall of your family growing up? Who was in your family? Um, I'm the eldest of three. Um, My dad was in the army and um, I was born in Manchester because he was based in Ashton under Lyne uh, in the army there. So it's a very traditional family really. He was uh, sort of the breadwinner and, and my mum worked, well stayed at home and she worked part time but it was a kind of a traditional family in that sense. Um, and it, yeah, it was a happy, it was a happy family. I'm, you know, I'm lucky to have very, very understanding, supportive parents who've got a lot of humour. Um, always see the funny side in in things, even when things go wrong. Um, and very loving um, towards me and my two sisters. You know, it's always felt that we were very sort of cared for and. Um, and they were very happy to ha- to have us. They've, they've got a very strong relationship. I mean, they're still together now. Um, they've been married fifty, probably fifty five years in June. Um, so, yeah, I feel quite lucky to have that supportive, stable family background. I mean, they've had ups and downs like couples do, um, but in the main, it, it was it was a very uh, supportive environment. Um, we did move around a lot. My dad was in the army, which meant that he moved every two and a half years. Um, and he spent quite a lot of time away from the family. And these were the times where there was no internet. And he would at times go away for six months. And we wouldn't. We might get a letter. We might get an odd phone call. So I did feel quite a lot of separation because I'm very close to, to my dad. Uh, and I, I do remember feeling that kind of separation and there was quite an intense relationship between my mum and I because I think she she was quite quite surprised because she's only quite a small woman, she's about five foot tall and I was a big nine pound three ounce baby and I always feel as if I, you know, I sort of took them by surprise in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, it was a happy, happy family upbringing, um, very traditional. Um, and the, the, no real role models in terms of anyone who's LGBT apart from a cousin, Emma. Um, she's a few years younger than me and she was always a tomboy. But they actually didn't live near us so we didn't have a close relationship. But I was always quite fascinated by her lifestyle because she was a lesbian and she was a, a tomboy and, and there was you know, it always seemed to be quite a clear path that she was on in terms of her sexuality. Um, and I, I often wish that I'd spent more time 
with her and, and had got to know her better um, because she was in a different part of the country so we didn't you know we didn't really have that that contact um, and uh, and yeah we moved around a lot it was a very much a kind of patriarchal environment because the army really dominated everything it, we would move house um, sometimes without an awful lot of notice or I might be halfway through my a levels for example and they said oh sorry you need to move so I had to go to a new school so it was quite unsettled but you kind of get into you get used to it because everybody around you is doing that same pattern of, of moving around um, so that was really how it how it went um, and it, it you know it was all quite a traditional environment um, there wasn't anything that you know I could say was was a trauma um, but we, we just got into this this habit of having to move every two and a half years and to go to completely different places we went to Hong Kong and Germany and Northern Ireland so it was it, you know it's a great experience to get to know those places um, and the schools always had other army children in so although you were meeting new people, everybody was in the same position. So everybody was, nobody batted an eyelid when somebody new came to the school because we were all used to that kind of un unsettled pattern. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, in terms of kind of LGBT and where, you know, where that first, my, my first, thoughts about perhaps I wasn't heterosexual. I did have a friend who, um, she's actually straight as well, <laughs> which is a little bit awkward because she's on Facebook now. And, you know, we've sort of contacted each other as friends. Um, and I remember we used to, I used to go to sleepovers at her house. Um, and we used to be quite intimate. Um, and I remember feeling as if this was much more of an exciting thing for me than perhaps it was for her. Um, and that was, but at the time there wasn't, I don't remember having any kind of either teaching at school or, or role models or anything to think. I, I can't remember it actually even crossing my mind that perhaps I was a lesbian or bisexual. It just, it didn't even seem like a sexual thing. It just seemed to be something that, was fun um, and exciting, um, but I don't have any recollection of having any interest in in men at that you know or, or males other than as friends. I had some really really good male friends, so that was a kind of the first uh, the big sign that, or the the red flag really for me that perhaps I wasn't wasn't straight. Um, and that was when I was 12 years old. And I do remember actually getting really jealous of her friendships with other, other girls. Um, and just, you know, wanting her for myself, really. Um, but we haven't actually discussed it. I mean, she's, we're friends now on Facebook, but we've never... I, I don't know how I would actually bring that up in conversation. Um, and we've not met, met since. So, but yeah, that was. I do see that as, as kind of a defining moment, really. Um, and then um, my school life was 
it was very unsettled in terms of moving from one school to another. But I did actually quite enjoy school. Um, and often wish that I'd had a more settled education. Um, and then, I mean, as I got older, I I always used to look on TV and, you know, be quite sort of, not attracted, but have a certain interest in women. It's, it's weird. Um, and then when I learned about gaydar, I suddenly thought, yeah, I did, I had that. I had that without even realising I had it. People like Jodie Foster, I really liked Jodie Foster. And then she came out and I thought, you know, and all of a sudden it's weird, all these, these things kind of seem to make sense. Um, so it's a strange transition really, because I can't remember actually thinking, you know, oh, maybe I'm a lesbian or should I have a relationship with a woman. Uh, until I got into my my late teens, um, I took my A-levels. I didn't do very well. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time, and we were happy, and things were, were fine. Um, and then I went to university, and I got really a bad anxiety. And I think it was partly because the people that I met at university were very different to the ones that I was used to. They weren't like the army people. And I... I got the impression that everybody was going to be poor and actually there were some very wealthy young people at university and I, I went through a really, really bad time um, and the course was a brand new course and a lot of people dropped out and then I dropped out and I, I couldn't, I went to see the counsellor um, and I didn't find the counsellor particularly helpful at the university and uh, I went to see the course leader and it was quite strange because she said to me, oh, it's a shame you're leaving because I always thought you'd have a really good career in marketing, which is something that later in life I, I have sort of picked up. Um, and then after that really horrible time, I thought I'll just get a job that's fun. And I started working at HMV and I absolutely had the time of my life. I really, it was great fun. There was no pressure. Um, I loved the music. And this was in the early 80s. And I met somebody um, at HMV called Moz. Um, he was a, a gay man. And he used to DJ at Flamingo, which is a big, big nightclub in Blackpool, a big gay club. And we had some, some really good times. Um, I was sort of going out and you know, going to clubs and pubs and things and having quite a good time. Um, but Moss and I became friends and he started to talk to me all about his lifestyle, which I found absolutely fascinating. Um, he talked to me about friends of Dorothy and, you know, I learned a lot from him and I, I was just intrigued by the things that he had to say and quite flattered that he would confide in me about his partner's um, I never talked to him about my own sexuality, but I just remember really loving the, the music, you know, the high energy and Hazel Dean and all the, the sort of gay anthems at the time. And um, I used to go out with a friend of mine called Melanie and we used to go to pubs and we'd just always have fun and, you know, drink and have a great time. And then one night I said to her, should we go to the Flamingo? Which was a little bit of an odd thing to do because she was she was very straight and 
she she was quite keen to go but I think she I remember feeling a little bit as if she was wondering why I wanted to go there and uh, I went to the Flamingo in Blackpool had a really really good night and at the end of the night spotted a very attractive woman who had come she'd driven there in her car and her car had broken down and she had a red fiesta and she was waiting outside the club with a friend of hers and she said that she'd she broken down and I remember thinking she was absolutely beautiful um anyway we had a we only had a brief conversation about her car having broken down and then that's it we went went home and I I know it's a cliche but I could not stop thinking about this woman um, and I was looking for red fiestas everywhere I went, thinking, I wonder if she's around. And then I decided to go to the club again. Um, this was in 1993. And it was a very busy night. I went to the bar to buy a drink. And as I turned around, she was standing behind me. And I said, oh, my God, it's you. And she looked at me as if to say, why are you saying that? It was quite strange. And... Uh, she'd been playing rugby and she'd hurt her knee which I found I don't know why but I thought that was kind of really sexy she had this big big bandage on her knee and she said oh do you want to go and sit upstairs and we got talking she was very I remember being completely um sort of refreshed at the way that she she talked because she was so um she didn't have any kind of any barriers and in, in terms of the way she talked about herself and and she was very open and she, I think I'd been I'd been probably brought up to be a you know a girl and to be female and not to swear and things like that and Claire was not like that at all and I found that quite attractive that she was you know she was so confident and we began a relationship and uh, I completely fell in love with her and that was the that was the first sort of real lesbian experience that I had. Um, but she lived about an hour away, so it it didn't it wasn't really going to work. And I think if she'd have said to me, "Let's move in together," and I would have been quite happy to do that. But she was very much into the party scene and the sort of drug taking and drinking, which I wasn't interested in drugs. Um, I didn't mind going out and drinking, but I didn't really want to have, you know, ecstasy and stuff like that. Was just, she was really keen on. So that fell apart and I was really upset and I, I just felt very empty. And I think part of me felt a little bit like, I'm not sure if I want to repeat that because it was too upsetting. Um, and I was in my 20s and I started to feel quite... I don't like the word broody, but I had definitely started to have these feelings that maybe it'd be nice to have children. Um, and I had a, a male friend who I'd, we'd been dating, we'd had a really great time. We were really more friends than anything. And I remember going to see him. He said to me, do you want to come around for lunch? Because he used to live around the corner from where I worked. And I thought, I'll have to tell him about Claire, the girl that I'd been seeing. So I took him a sandwich and he was a policeman and very, very heterosexual, quite old fashioned. And I remember telling him that I'd been seeing Claire and his face, he looked completely shocked. 
and I felt I didn't feel good at all about it uh, I, I felt embarrassed and kind of unclean and and so our friendship went he, he kind of distanced himself a little bit and then it that sort of came back together again um, and then I got into a relationship with somebody who was married and ended up getting pregnant um, so I didn't at that point I didn't have any kind of ideas about having a lesbian relationship and having children I just didn't think that was a thing at all I can't remember seeing anybody that did it and there wasn't internet or anything so you couldn't google it but I just didn't I just fell straight into this heterosexual situation of having children um, got married um, ended up having two more children and and then I started I think that the years of the 90s when I had the children were very I was very focused on them um, it's odd really because when I look back now this I lost interest in music and things like that which I used to be really interested in listening to the radio and seeing you know following bands and things like that but in the 90s when the children were little because they were all quite close together in age I'd lost interest in, in, in that kind of thing and I was just really quite focused on family life um, and then we moved to the island in 2000 and I used to buy Diva magazine <laughs> but I don't, I don't, don't ask me why I can't even remember where I bought it if I bought it in supermarket or bought it online or well I wouldn't have bought it online but anyway I can't remember where I bought it but I used to buy it and I used to hide it in the back of the wardrobe I remember the children finding it once and saying what's this and I just said oh it looked really interesting and I like the music and KD Lang you know this kind of thing and then I did actually meet up with a couple of women um, online and sort of went out for a walk and had a chat uh, one of them was just, it was just interesting it was just something that I felt like I wanted to do I wanted to get to know women and I suppose it didn't feel like cheating on my husband it was just I felt like I wanted to explore that side of me but I did have a burning question for years and years am I a lesbian am I just bisexual what's going on and it did cause me a lot of it was one of those things, when you're lying in bed at night, it was one of those things that used to go through my mind. Am I, could I be? And because I wasn't tomboyish, and I never really wanted to look like a, a boy, although I didn't feel feminine, you know, I questioned it within myself. Um, and then the marriage kind of fell apart because it was never, it was always about being parents rather than being you know, a, a romantic attraction. So I started to get increasingly unhappy and got divorced in 2011 and moved to Ride. And I thought, right, okay, it's been difficult going through the divorce. Now is your opportunity to explore whether or not you are actually gay or, what you know, what's going on. So I went on a dating site and it said, are you interested in men, women, or men and women? And I put men and women. I think I was worried that somebody would see me on there and think, oh, 
I'm sure she's not a lesbian because she's got three children. I don't know. So I went on the website and uh, I met somebody and she decided that she wanted to come to the island even though she lived in Yorkshire. And she said, I really want to see you. She's very enthusiastic. And all the time I was thinking, this is going to be either the best thing you've ever done or the worst thing that you've ever done because you're going to open up a whole can of worms if you meet this woman. And, and I thought, well, maybe I could just discreetly meet her. Um, and she decided to come on a coach from Yorkshire from Monday to Friday. And we got together. Uh, it was a very, very, very powerful relationship probably the most powerful relationship because I came out and I just knew without any shadow of a doubt that I was a lesbian. I wasn't bisexual. I Meeting her and having times with her and everything, I just knew. But I really, really struggled emotionally. I was very tearful. Um, and it wasn't really anything that anybody else was doing. It was all from within me. Um, I found it really, really hard to accept it. And I, I just didn't want, because I'm a fairly private person, and I didn't really want to have to tell people. But I knew that I had to tell people. If I was going to live life as a lesbian, I had to tell people. And I'd worked for the county press uh, for five years and had my photo in the paper every week. So I knew quite a lot of people, and they were mostly older people none of them were LGBT. And I thought, those, how am I going to tell those people? Um, how am I going to tell my parents and my three children? And it all became emotionally completely overwhelming. But then when I told people, everybody was fine. The children were a little bit... Um, I think they thought, oh, here she goes again. This is a phase, you know, because they're quite protective because the three of them are close together in age. And I think they thought, what the hell is she doing and why is she doing it? Um, my son, though, was fantastic. And I remember him going to school one day and saying that um, his religious studies teacher had been talking about same-sex marriage. And he'd said he was against it. And my son said he put his hand up and said, can you tell me why you're against it? And then he came home and told me. And I was so delighted that he had the courage to do that in front of all of his, his classmates and that he was mature enough to sort of think it through. And um, my daughters eventually were okay. Um, my mum and dad were absolutely brilliant. Really, I can't even remember what they said. But, but I think my dad had always... I think wanted a son and he always talked to me about football I love football and that's all because I think he would have liked to have a son to have those conversations with but he also used to talk to me about women quite a lot as well so if there's a really attractive woman walking down the road he would comment to me about this woman and I don't to this day I wonder how much influence that had or whether I don't know why that relationship existed because if he'd have done that with one of my sis sisters they probably would not have appreciated it at all. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was that was emotional. 
Um, and there was a lot going on. I'd moved to ride. I felt like I had a lot of responsibility because I'd gone from having this marriage where my husband had a, a steady job and everything was very traditional to all of a sudden I'd kind of broken out on my own. Um, and then I started to really enjoy the feeling of being authentic. Um, and the weird thing was, it kind of coincided with the first Pride on the island, which was 2016, 17. Um, and I remember people starting to talk about it, and I just thought, hmm, not sure how this is going to work. And I went along to some of the meetings and got involved with volunteering for the first one. And it was really funny, actually, thinking back at the conversations and... And people did really think that it wouldn't be supported and were worried at the reaction. And then there were, what I see now as a couple of catalysts that really brought its, its success and kind of created the success of Pride on the island. And the first one was, um, well, I'm not sure if it was in this order, but Charlotte Hofton wrote an article, the journalist for the County Press, um, and I remember reading it and thinking, this is outrageous. The tone was so old-fashioned, the language, the viewpoint was just so stereotypical. And all of a sudden, people reacted to it in a way that I'd not really seen for quite a long time on the island. And it's funny, on the Isle of Wight, there is that community feel sometimes when you know everybody goes along and gets gets on with their business but as soon as there's something that a lot of people don't agree with people do club together and um, and then she I think she left the paper um, and then there was a whole thing with Andrew Turner um, the MP at the time and the comments that he was alleged to have made and and all of a sudden Pride got this massive momentum and everybody was really excited about it um, and it was fantastic. And I remember standing at the bottom of Union Street for the first Pride and looking up and seeing Peter Tatchell and everybody walking down the street and thinking, this is absolutely incredible. Um, I'd got up quite early on in the morning on the, the first year and I went to get um, a paper on Union Street. And it was funny because I saw two people walking down the street with a bottle of water, pouring water down the road and I said what are you doing and they said something about blessing the street because they were religious and they didn't agree with it but other than that I didn't see any any anti-LGBT or homophobic behavior at all um, but I did feel an increasing sense of wanting to mix with other lesbians because I, and still now, I feel really that I missed out on quite a lot in terms of the friendships, being able to talk to people. Because I often, when I was in a group of women, straight women, I often used to feel really uncomfortable. And I just didn't like it. I never liked girls' nights out or, you know, hen-do's or any of those things. I just used to feel completely out of place. And I craved having that lesbian company. Um, and I met Anna Murray 
can't remember how we got in touch but anyway I think somebody said oh you need to talk to Anna and we saw an advert on Facebook for funding from an NHS project called My Life a Full Life and I said to Anna look at this um, shall we apply for it and see if we can get some money together and set up a group um, we applied for £3,300 and we put a two-line advert in the county press in the personals column for lesbians and bi women on the island and we set up a group which we called white lesbians which seemed like a good idea at the time not so much now when i get bank statements through the post with white lesbians on, on the front um anyway we set the group up and uh, the the funding provider said that they wanted us to meet at various locations on the island so we met in um, Newport Ride and Cows and the thing that shocked me most was the number of women who had mental health problems um, ranging from quite severe uh, to loneliness isolation and anxiety um, I think nearly all of them had some level of anxiety and I really felt a lot of empathy for certain people within that group because I just thought I would hate to feel like that because I remembered how emotional I'd felt coming out and how fortunate I was that people were you know were okay um, and so we worked really hard at getting the group going and we met up in Cowes and Newport and met some really interesting people and formed some great friendships and and I just found it really rewarding just getting to know these people hearing their experiences looking at the different you know relationships some were married some were single um, and that kind of evolved on its own um, and that, that was just before Pride and now people will actually ring up and say, oh, I've, I mean, I had a um, situation recently where somebody phoned me and they said, oh, we know two lesbians, one of them's not very well and the other one's her carer and would you be able to talk to them because they don't know anybody. So it's been fantastic to be able to get in touch with people. And then I saw an advert in Diva magazine about um, a journalist who wanted to write about lesbians in rural communities. So I contacted the journalist and she said, oh yeah, send me an article. And she published it online. And it, I was amazed because people from the Isle of Wight saw it online. So advertising locally hadn't, it had worked, but I, I always had the feeling there were a lot more women out there than, you know, than we'd, we'd found. And we were always trying to what, find ways to connect with those women. And then the online article meant that people were emailing new people and because the nature of something being online is that it's there for forever unless you delete it, that went on for a couple of years and people were still emailing saying, oh, I've seen this online and where do you meet? And, you know. and then we've had people who are moving to the island saying, what's it like? Are there any women's groups? Um, where's the best place to live? Um, and so that that's been really really fantastic and it's it's really given me a, a strong feeling of gratitude 
um, that I've been able to come out um, and explore sort of friendships as well, not just relationships. Um, and I haven't really had any, I'm, I am quite discreet. Sometimes I think I'm probably too discreet in that I can, people don't assume that I'm lesbian. So the benefit of that is that you can kind of blend in and listen to conversations and pick up on people's feelings. Whereas I think if I'd have been a bit more like, looked like a traditional lesbian, maybe people would, would be a bit more guarded um, occasionally you get a, I get a feeling that somebody doesn't like me and you don't know the reason why and then it, you run the question through your mind is, is it because I'm a lesbian um, but touch wood I've not really had anybody who's been homophobic um, a couple of my older friends have been uh, almost as if they wanted me to change my mind you know um, one of them in particular She's very, I can tell she's very uncomfortable. She likes me, but she's uncomfortable with the fact that I'm with a woman. And sometimes I think she, she almost thinks it's as if you're on, under the influence of your partner, when actually it's not that at all. Um, so I then met Joanne Brady through the women's group. And Joanne Brady is very very funny and she's been a sort of out and proud lesbian for quite a long time on the Isle of Wight and uh, she's got great sense of humour and she's really sociable and she was telling me stories about what life used to be like in the 80s and 90s on the island um, she mentioned lots of venues and things that happened um, and she told me that local press photographers used to wait outside venues to take photos of people. I think I'd always assumed that the LGBT community, I don't, I don't know what I'd assumed about it actually on the island because I'd never heard of any sort of gay clubs. I think I just assumed that anybody who you know, was out and proud would go to Brighton or London or one of the cities and wouldn't necessarily stay on the island. Um, and Joanne told me some really quirky stories about discos and about really good times that they used to have and, and it was like lifting up a, a stone on the beach and finding all this activity underneath it all these things that I never thought I'd not, never really thought about and I thought those things need to be highlighted people need to know that that's life on the Isle of Wight and that it's not just a retirement area for heterosexual people and then I spoke to somebody about um, the Gay Men's Sailing Association and again I thought this was amazing um, I think it was Carl Love and he said they used to have flags on their yachts so they could recognise each other and I could see this creative picture building up and I thought this this could be a really good project but at that time, I didn't really have any ideas about how it would work. I just thought these stories are, are funny and they need all putting together and, and sort of showcasing in some way. And then um, I met Franco at Key Arts at an LGBT night and uh, I was fascinated by his sort of creative um, ability and the things that he'd done with theatre. 
um, and the fact that he was a Brazilian living on the island as well. It's, it's, he's so interesting to talk to. Um, and we began to talk about our work and he asked me to help him with a, uh, one of the plays that he was putting on. And I said to him about ideas for a project. And then in February, I think it was, I can't remember if it was 2017 or 18, I read online that the National Lottery Heritage Fund was coming to the island. Um, there was going to be a, an exhibition at the Classic Boat Museum in East Cows for Joe Carstairs, who had a boat built in East Cows. And I read the book about Joe Carstairs, which is called The Queen of Whale Key, which has got really good links to the island because she had a boat built here. And she was a, a lesbian and had a really interesting background. So a friend of mine, um, I, I contacted a friend of mine and said, do you fancy coming along to the Classic Boat Museum um, to hear the National Lottery talk about the, the Heritage Fund and the money that's available? So we headed down there and we saw the exhibition and then there was a talk. And it was interesting because there weren't that many people there although there was somebody from Brighton somebody from Southampton but there weren't many people from the island and I I thought people would be there talking about their projects and I decided I was going to keep quiet about my idea and just listen so I listened to everything that the National Lottery had to say and it was really really interesting and they did say there was money earmarked for the Isle of Wight for LGBT projects so at the end of the talk I went and had a chat with Joseph who was running the evening and I said I've got this idea and he said go on tell me more about it I said well I keep hearing all these quirky stories about LGBT life on the island and gay men sailing association and told him some of the things and I said I think it'd make a really good project he said that sounds just the kind of thing we're looking for so send me an email um, so I was really excited so I went home sent him an email and um, Franco and I discussed it and he said yeah you need to you know this is something you need to do you need to get this application done so that was kind of how the project came about um, so <laughs> it's a funny funny thing to talk about really because obviously it feels a little bit like a a circle within a circle because the project is six months now into an eight, the 18 months and it, it's, I said to Franco today actually that it's kind of grown organically in a really positive way in that we found more stories and we've, we've looked at people's experiences um, and people have been very generous in terms of coming forward and, and talking about living on the Isle of Wight and being LGBT and again I, I found that you cannot make assumptions because from what I've seen and heard so far, there are certain people who you might look at and think, well, yes, she's definitely a lesbian, but they haven't had an easy experience. You know, they might not have been accepted by their family, friends or whatever. And then there are quite a few trans people who've had fantastic times on the island and never had any, any problems. So... I'm still kind of mulling over in my mind whether or not 
the island is a, a good place to be LGBT. And I think actually, in a lot of ways, it probably probably is. Um, and I think there's still work to be done in people's habits, changing people's habits. And I include myself in this, in that there's a lot to be learned about um, accepting people for who they are, um, using the correct gender, um, not sorry, correct pronoun. Um, and it will be, I do feel that I would like to kind of try and encourage that change of attitudes on the island, which, and people on the whole seem to be quite receptive to it. Um, so, so that's really, I think that that's kind of most of the things that, that I wanted to, to say. Um, I think when I look back now, there were some, the defining moments in terms of sort of my own LGBT journey, for want of a better expression, were more around music. So things like Boy George, I remember um, I lived in Hong Kong at the time, it was around about 1982, 1983, and Boy George was on top of the pops, and there was a massive, uh, really massive question of, is this a boy or a girl? And everybody was talking about it. And I just loved Culture Club and I loved the music and I went to see them and I was, I was fascinated by that whole thing. And that was quite a defining moment because people were intrigued by whether or not he was male or female. Um, but in terms of role models, like now looking back, I, I wish there, there'd been more people that I could relate to um because at the time there really there wasn't really i mean most of the lesbians were people like martina navratilova um i remember katie lang when she sort of first her songs first came out and i was thinking wow she's absolutely fantastic i, I loved her music but it was her whole presence and her she's so so attractive and so confident um so I really, really, really loved KD Lang. But I also liked people like Hazel Dean and the high energy scene. Um, just the music itself and the kind of the atmosphere of it. But I don't, I do regret not having children with a, a woman, if that makes sense, because my children were brought up in a heterosexual family. And I think looking back now, it would have been nice to been sort of more authentic because my relationships with men were never quite right and I never I don't know I, I remember once talking to a woman and she was talk, talking to me about somebody's bum a, a man that she knew she said oh he's got a lovely bum and I just could not relate to it at all and I thought oh my god she's looking at his bum and it was <laughs> you think that sort of the penny would have dropped with me that actually I wasn't interested in men but I just remember thinking why is she looking at his bum and I couldn't, there was, there was always this kind of, like a stumbling block in my own mind about finding men sexually attractive. I found them attractive in terms of talking about football. Um, I could be myself, I could say things and, you know, not have to be so girly. 
but in terms of an actual physical attraction I remember finding that I couldn't relate to that and I did question it I did think why is that and I didn't think well it's because you're a lesbian I just thought maybe everyone's different and <laughs> some people like men physically and others don't I don't know so yeah I think I, I was quite confused for a long long time um I didn't really talk to anybody about it either which is quite unhealthy really because it's a difficult subject to to broach you know how do you suddenly say to somebody especially if you've got female heterosexual friends because you don't know what their reaction's going to be so I did uh, you know I did really juggle with it in my own mind for, for probably years and years and years and that is a regret now. I look back and I think, I wish I had done something about it earlier. But it also makes me think, what, what are the other things about myself that I don't know? That um, things that you might, I know it sounds crazy, but even foods or whatever, countries that you might want to visit, there's a whole host of things that you don't know about yourself until you try them. And I, I've thought about that. I think that's one of the nice things about getting older, is that you do become more curious about things that you didn't do when you were younger um i think i'd i'd have liked to have played football but that was never really an option um but i always feel quite envious of young women now and they get the opportunity to go and play football um in terms of clothes as well that's been quite interesting because i never really felt girly and i wasn't really keen on skirts and dresses and I've always liked a kind of slightly boyish fashion. Um, but I do feel very much as if I was kind of quite conditioned. I mean, I always use the example of a card shop. When you go into a card shop, you see the blue cards on one side and the pink on the other. And even when I bought children for my uh, clothes for my children, it was blue for, the, for James and pink for the girls. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a shame in a way. I feel a bit, a sense of regret that I wasn't true to myself earlier and didn't have lesbian relationships from a younger age. Um, because I still feel now, you know, having only been out for, what, seven years, that I'm still learning about relationships in a, you know, gay relationships. Which, and I do think they are, they are different in lots of ways because you don't have role models you so this I still feel like I just kind of a bit of research that I need to do about that reading books or whatever it happens to be to find out about relationships and friendships and what's sustainable and what isn't um I think that's about it really I can't think of much else unless there's anything you want to ask um, I guess to bring things to a close, maybe, what do you want people to take away from not only this interview, but from this whole project? I think this, <laughs> I think it, for me, it's about authenticity and being your true self. And which takes courage um, but I think two things really I think 
from the interview, I would like to, if somebody's listening to it and they're, they're not sure, I'd like to kind of inspire them to, to try and find out about themselves and not, not to be held back by self, you know, low self-esteem or feelings of what are people going to think. Because I think, I think people are generally a lot more accepting um, than they used to be and the attitudes are changing. But in terms of the project, I would really like people to look at the project and see that life for people, LGBT people on the Isle of Wight is actually not easy. And, and I think it would be good to make people aware that of the difficulties that LGBT people face. Um, and that it's not, you know, just because there aren't so many gay venues, it's not just about, oh, you can get married now, so, you know, you've got the same rights. It's also about a general acceptance. So, you know, going into work, um, socialising. There are still people on the island who pretend that they're in heterosexual relationships who so when they have a conversation at work about what did you do the weekend they've got to make up a story or they can't include their partner um i'd also like people to come forward as well and volunteer and get involved in the project because i'm sure there's there are so many stories that because we're never going to uncover every single lgbt story on the island that's not realistic but going back over the last 100 years there are lots of themes that are coming through um, people's relationship with the law um, suicide unfortunately is a theme depression um, yachting there's all sorts of themes that are coming through on, on lots of people's interviews so i'd like people to to have the confidence to come and, and sort of share their stories and and to help us with memorabilia as well, photos and newsletters and things, so that in years to come, we've built up a clear picture of what life was like, so people can look at it and say, well, this is what they had to face, and, and sort of be grateful for where they are because of the work that's been done by, you know, people like Carl Love, who's running for MP, who has really put himself out there and um and Joanne Brady who have been role models really for a lot of a lot of people although they probably Joanne probably doesn't realize it um but yeah I think it's the messages for people to be authentic and to have the courage to do that but also to be stand up to homophobia as well because we all know it still exists and it's it does take courage and passion um I remember somebody once saying to me about coming out, you have to think about what you're prepared to lose. And I, I didn't know what she meant. And she said, well, you know, you could lose your friends, you could lose your family, you might lose your job. So when you come out, this is what's got to cross your mind. Well, I think now that's fairly old fashioned view because people are generally more tolerant, but there is, you know, there are still occasions when, um, when people are homophobic um, and I think it's also about making heterosexual straight people aware that life isn't easy and that it's not a choice 
it's about human beings being their true self um, and being able to live their life the best way. I probably could think of more. <laughs> but I think that's the general thrust of it, really. Um, and for people to be more open-minded and tolerant of each other, you know, you look at the, we've got at the moment with the election and, and it's accepting people's choices um, and creating a kind of a har harmony and community relationships rather than this division that unfortunately seems to be coming more of a, a thing which does frighten me, you know, in terms of the future. I do feel a, a fear about how that's going to go because I think although generally there's less homophobia, I think in recent times there's been a division and people are becoming more confident about expressing homophobic attitudes. Um, yeah, I mean, I would like the community, a nice community feel to the project. So... Um, I had an interesting situation when somebody, I did a event in Shanklin and somebody came up to me at the end and said that their granddaughter was trans. And this was a woman who, she was just, a, just an ordinary old, old woman, um, but I didn't expect that. And it was nice that she felt able to come over and talk to me. And she, had, she said that she'd struggled with it, found it really difficult. But it kind of opens up conversations and it means that that granddaughter that was struggling has now got somebody who who is perhaps not being supportive but might because people do change their minds i think as well you know there are people who have been homophobic you know it's the classic conversation about oh well i work with a fellow and he's gay and actually he's all right you know people do change change their minds um but I think it's nice just for people to be be able to be confident that they can they can be LGBT and not have to hide it. I mean, I know on the island we don't we don't see many same sex couples holding hands, but it would be great to get to the stage where you could see that and it wasn't you know people weren't looking. Um, and the same with trans people. It would be nice that to feel that they could be accepted into the community for themselves. Um, but I think I think on the island things are moving in the right direction. So yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> no idea what time it is. Look at my watch. Well, thank you for talking to me. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa, and thanks, Caroline, for sharing your story with us. It can be truly alienating and lonely when you don't have positive role models. It's hard to come out and feel proud when few have broken ground before you. We hope that stories like Caroline's can serve as a positive example. Everyone has their own journey, their own time to come out. Wherever you are in that journey, know that you are not alone. Remember, you can follow subscribe, connect with us. Visit www.outonanisland.co.uk or on social media at outonanislandiw.hashtag ourstoriesmatter. Next episode, 
Franco Figueredo interviews Carl Stedman. Carl shares his memories about running a small hotel in Shanklin, being elected as a town councillor, the impact of the AIDS crisis, the lack of LGBTQ plus venues and businesses on the island. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.